Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. And today we are talking about the classic social deduction board game, The Resistance. We're also going to talk a little bit about social deduction in general. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Resistance Avalon and Quest at the end. So it should be a great conversation. One we've been looking forward to having for a long time. Should we just do it, Jake? Should we just get into the episode? Let's just do it. I No, I have to say one thing. Okay, you one know, thing. I, and I apologize for the preamble. But we are officially at the release of this episode. will come out on Wednesday, January 31st, which marks the end of three years of decision wow. space. We'll be entering our fourth year of doing the show. So I just wanted to take a note of that. I think we should celebrate that a little bit. We've hit a bunch of big milestones in that time. Right now we're sitting at almost 200,000 total downloads. Uh, we've done 155 episodes of this recording in those three years. So I just want to say thank you, Brendan, for doing all these shows with me. And thank you so much to all of our listeners for making this so fun to do this show each and every week. Yeah, humbled and excited to have people along for the ride to sit in and listen in on these conversations I get to have with you, Jake, that are increasingly just one of the favorite things in my day every single week. You'd think after doing something like this for going on into our fourth year, there might be some fatigue, but I feel like, at least on my end, I think I'm more excited about the show and what we're talking about and where things are headed maybe than I've ever been. And that feels really, really exciting. So that's it. Now let's do it. I just couldn't resist calling out that big milestone for our show. So, Brenda, are we going to do our ratings and reviews? Let's do it. Reviews. That's what we Let's do on do these, it. right? Yes, yes. Okay. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? I can go first. I haven't thought about this at all. Wait, it almost, are you going to tell the truth or are you going to lie? I'm going to tell the truth. You will see. Trust me, everything I say on this is utter truth brendan please please believe me okay but, <laughs> deal <laughs> great i'm gonna give this game a 10 out of 10 i think i think it's worthy of a 10 out of 10 and i put this 10 out of 10 in the category of like an azul like for me this is just the perfect encapsulation of what a social deduction game is trying to be it feels like a distillation of an idea I think all the elements are harmonious, talking about just the base game of the resistance. And it's one I've just always had so much fun with. It was one of the things that really made me love this hobby. Like my first, I was kind of getting into board games. You know, I played Pandemic, it was fun. So I brought over Puerto Rico, it was fun. Then I played 12 games of resistance back to back with like eight friends one night and I was all in on the board yeah. game hobby. And it was just such a, a, still one of my best ever experiences. I've had so many memorable experiences of this game. And I just played it a couple weeks ago at Geekway Mini and had an awesome experience playing this game. So for all those reasons, it's a 10 for me. And you're not a spy. Brendan, if I was a spy, I would tell you. But okay. as a honest, <laughs> true member of the Resistance, it's I a true 10 out of 10. It's a 10 out of 10. Okay, here's my Jake. The Resistance is the quintessential social deduction experience. One of those rare games that defines a genre and becomes the standard by which future entries in the genre are measured. This game is as good, but not as dramatic as The Resistance is what I might say when I play another social deduction game. 
And while Avalon and its asymmetric player identities bring a novel twist to the environment, they can provide real longevity to the game for groups who found the core experience of the Resistance tired. For me, there's nothing quite like staring into the eyes of your friend across the table, listening for any wavering in their voice as you desperately, desperately try to suss out if this is the time you can truly trust them. The Resistance is one of my favorite games of all time, and almost as close to as perfect as a game gets. 10 out of 10. Let's go! Ding, so ding, we, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> we love this game. So Our that's where we're starting game. this That's from. a show ever, I, apparently. I think ever. Yeah, that's amazing. I did not know we were going there. All right, how about that? Let's get right into our game background here. So, Brendan, this game goes all the way back to 2009. What else do we have to say about it? <laughs> so I did a bit of research because I was curious about sort of the history of the Resistance. And the Resistance is obviously a celebrated enough game that there's a lot of folks who have talked to the designer, uh, or at least some, Don Eskridge. Uh, this game was published in 2009 by Indie Boards and Cards. And I found some interviews with Don talking about the sort of genesis of the Resistance. Uh, and as you might expect, Jake, this game has its roots in Werewolf or Mafia, right? Like the, the, right. the not, not the published version, but the full game, Werewolf or Mafia, which is a very similar version, a type of game set up to the Resistance. It, Mafia is the first social deduction I ever played. Jake, did you play Werewolf or Mafia growing up? Yeah, I played Mafia as a kid. Okay. Exactly. Yep, With like same. A, a deck of playing cards. Yeah. Okay, cool. I remember playing Mafia on like band trips in middle school, and we would slowly try to come up with new roles to assign people, which was really fun, but I think probably not the best game playing experience. And then the key difference for people who have never played Werewolf and Mafia, it's very similar, except that there's someone who's running the game uh, and plays the role of facilitator. So they are not playing the game, they're watching and ensuring everyone else has a good time. The Resistance, I think very importantly, distills that game experience and says, we don't need a facilitator, we can all play. Um, so Don, in talking about that trip where he went to France uh, and played Werewolf and or Mafia, I don't know the timing, I assume it's early 2000s or maybe late 90s, uh, he, there's this quote uh, that Don wanted to, quote, make a game that's the opposite of Werewolf. In Werewolf, you don't trust people, but there's this design question that came. What if you had to trust people instead? So that's what he says. That's the question that the resistance comes from. What does a social deduction game look like when you have to trust one another? Right. That's really interesting. I I don't know how much trusting happens in a game of the resistance, but it is certainly true that the game forces you by virtue of the missions into picking people like, well, I, I distrust them the least. Yes. Yeah, which in classic werewolf, it's it's mostly just pointing fingers and being like, let's get rid right. of this person. Let's they are not trustworthy. Totally. Yeah, and in this game, you're like forced, at least in part two. And then the only other note I want to share, Jake, on sort of the game background before we really get into it, and we'll touch on the timing of Avalon and Quest just to provide some background, is just that I learned in my research, Jake, that The Resistance was a print and play game uh, published online and then picked up later by Indie Boards and Cards, which I think is just incredible that this was essentially an indie hit that was then picked up by a publisher called Indie Boards and Cards that then made it this like massive success. A real hero's journey. Put it out yes, there and yeah. people liked it and it got picked up and published. That's so cool. And then I guess, yeah, yeah go, the, go ahead. the other game background to touch on is that after the success of The Resistance, Dawn started on another game, uh, started on an expansion for the game, uh, and then they, which they realized could really just be its own standalone game and made Avalon. Avalon adds a texture, a little bit of a, a layer of 
additional roles that people can have, adding more potential privileged information for certain players. It adds the infamous Merlin role, which allows you to make a, a special saving guess at the end of the game. But if, if the evil players can guess who Merlin is, then then they they can win the game. But Merlin knows who the evil people are, so it adds a little bit more privileged information. And then in 2021, uh, the series was followed up again by Don Askridge, who with Indie Boards and Cards release Quest. And we'll talk about Quest later, and we're not going to talk about it a lot now. But if you've never heard of Quest, it's probably for the best. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into your separately recorded rules overview and then meet back on the other side for our deep dive discussion of The Resistance. The Resistance is a social deduction game for 5 to 10 players. Each player is assigned a team in secret, joining either the Resistance or the side of the Spies. A player's hidden role informs their objective. The Resistance wants three or more of the game's five missions to succeed, and the Spies want the opposite, three of the five games to fail. There are always a minority of Spy players at the table. Players take turns nominating a group of players to go on missions. Then in secret, each player votes if they approve of that team to go on the mission or not. If the majority approves, the players nominated to go on a mission all receive two tokens, a success token and a fail token. Then in secret, the players sent on the mission vote if the mission is to succeed or fail. A mission fails if just one failure token is played. Members of the resistance though must always play their success tokens, but spies may vote for a mission to succeed or fail. This play loop continues with players being sent on missions, typically of varying numbers of players based on the round of the mission that is and if the resistance can manage to win three missions without a failure then they win the game and if the spies manage to fail at least three missions then they thwart the resistance and claim victory thanks so much brendan for the great rules overview hopefully that gave you a better idea of how to play the game Let's jump in to the conversation. So this is the point where naturally in the discussion, Jake, we characterize the decision space. And I think we should do that. We have uh, to. And I, th I think it's we have to. It's law. It's tradition. Yes. But I want to remark, too, that this is the first. So like this really is the first social deduction game we've ever covered on the show. And I think so often when we do these game deep dives on the show, we're talking about sort of uh strategic euro games where you are we're talking a lot more about things uh, and core skills like risk assessment or evaluation of the board state or um i don't know just developing heuristics to navigate complex decision nodes yeah and here it's it's a game so much more about psychology about trying to understand what the other players are thinking about trying to act in specific ways that you can success, successfully deceive people or tell who is deceiving you. And I think that that brings the decision space into a much different realm. I will say part of the reason I think res the resistance is so good is that there are real interesting, meaningful decisions around when to do certain things, especially when you're playing as the spy. Decisions like, should I betray the other spy become or the other spies become really interesting and meaningful. A hundred percent. Um, but yeah, I think the like the size and depth category that we talk yeah. about does not have a lot of weight here. Uh, and often that's really important. The type of decision space. Also, not really anything like what we've done before, right? Yeah. I mean, it is waning-ish. Not really. No, the game, there's a clock on the game. There's a clock on the game. If anything, you say static, I think. If anything, you would I think say... So. 
every round you have the exact same decisions and you have the exact same number of options but that feels way too kind of like diminutive of what the actual play Playing of experience. game is like because the play is not the decisions that are ultimately made the play is kind of everything above the board in a way that we haven't really delved into on this podcast it's true though the decision of who to send on missions ends up being crucial and voting around what teams are there ends up being crucial. So I say it's the only reason I could make a slight argument for waning, Jake, is the moments when you're playing the resistance with groups who aren't super excited to vote for a team to go quickly. And you end up in spots where I don't get into this level of depth in the rules overview, right? But if a team fails, uh, if the, a nominated team is not approved, it goes to the next person. Then it goes around the table, right? And you can only go around so many times before, like, essentially the mission just fails. Yeah. And I think that there are some interesting decisions about who you might nominate on a given team and, and what that says about you based on previous information that you have that to me can make it feel like the the amount of wiggle room you have as a player is shrinking. Your ability to to make claims or if you're playing as the spy to take risks feels shrinking, but it's not waning in the way that like playing a game of the fox in the forest feels waning just by nature of shedding cards. It's a totally different arena. It's so weird. And I think part of the weird difference is that all the decisions that you're making are kind of just data points, right? Yes. Yeah. When you're collecting you're, data. Yeah. When you're putting out your mission in the first round, I'm saying, I want Brendan and I want uh, Luke and I want Tyler on this mission with me, right? The Whether it, it gets approved or not, right? That's just like data that we're like using to build our theory of the case later on in the round regardless uh, of what side i'm on or what side anyone's on which gives the like actual decisions you're making all like just such a more tenuous nature i guess than in a standard euro game where every single time i make a decision i'm like meaningfully changing the game state in yeah. a measurable way. Here, not so much. Yeah. Right. So the clarity of the game is the game in a lot of ways, right? If there's no game here, if everyone at the table knows who the resistance is and everyone knows who the spies are, there's no game. And there's right. not, there's no variability, but in terms of clarity, how we ne- normally talk about that, oftentimes when we're talking about clarity in the nature of decision space, we're talking about uncertainty. What types of random elements can come into the game that can make uh, can affect how clear the impact of your decisions and the path you're going down will be? Here, the clarity comes down to, I don't know if I can trust people. So well, you get a similar feel of like, I'm so unsure of my actions in this game. And you're speaking as... From the side of the resistance. The size of the resistance, which of course I too am a part of, right? Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> let me just make that super clear. But, you know, hypothetically, if one were on the spy side, then it is like among the most asymmetric games that we've covered either. Because as you say, yep. the game is the clarity. Uh, and when you're on the spy side, you have complete clarity. Perfect information. In a a basic game of the resistance, I know who the other spies are and therefore I know who the members of the resistance are. So in that sense, for them, the game is not at all a game of clarity. It's truly a game of just gaslighting your friends, (laughs) which I don't know where to put that in our like category here, but maybe it's more like feel. Like you're kind of playing in the feel of the game. 
I think that is like where the weak points to like exploit are when you're on the spy. You kind of are looking around the table. And if somebody is like starting to get suspicious of somebody else, you can maybe like find a little bit of space to just cast a little bit more aspersion, you know? Like that is a really good point you made. Why did they vote to approve that mission that failed? Right? That type of thing. And typically... Uh, that's a different style of play entirely. Totally. And typically to your point, Jake, there's, depending on the group, there's a real spectrum of how you can make that play, right? Because based on the culture of what's happening at the table, maybe it's become the meta that if someone jumps in with a, a question of like, well, why did you do that? You might be seen as too eager, whereas other groups might just come out and say, oh my gosh, you're obviously the spy because you you were too quick to sort of make that claim. And then that person's playing as the spy. And I think there's the cool thing about the resistance is you build up these sort of like norms with a given group that you can then invert through your social behavior. So it's, it's, it's truly such a perfectly social game, but we always also talk about the feel and there's not a lot of games we've covered on the show that in my pitch of why someone should play the game, I would lead with the feel, but I think the thing about the resistance is so cool is the feel that it creates. It creates this immediate sense of paranoia, paranoia. There's true tension, especially on the side of the resistance. And then on the other side, as you're playing a member of the spy, I think it's very anxiety inducing. It's just like there's like real apprehension. It's it's scary it's, to sit there lying to your friends and worry that you're going to get caught out. And you're always playing on a team, right? So this is a team game. That's another important factor. So I find Jake when I'm playing as the spy, I don't want to get caught out as the spy. One, because I don't want to lose. And two, because I don't want to let down the other spy. Interesting. Right. Yeah. So is is the word mimetic game, Brendan, where it feels is that your word? That, that is a word that I've used historically, but you mean because it so perfectly simulates the experience of what you might feel like if you were a member of the resistance, worried that there were spies around trying to Yeah, I guess maybe it's not like truly being like a spy in the resistance, but like when we talk about games are agency as art. Yeah. I feel there are very few games that I play that give me such a strong sense of, you know, being the agent. When I'm yes. the spy, like I am like being a despicable, lying, betraying person. Yeah. Trying to screw over these people who are in a position where they must trust me. Yeah. Looking right into the eyes of your friend, trying to stay as calm as you can. To yeah. build, cultivate trust while deceiving someone. Right. It, yeah. You it, have you, to do that literally. Yeah. yeah. Whereas it's, when you're the resistance, you're do, you also have like that strong sense of agency of like, we are trying to deduce who yeah. among us is the mole, like who's yeah. betraying us. So, I mean, for me, that captures the feel of the game. Yeah. Uh, and then all of those emotions that you would feel being either part, right? Like when you're the spy, the paranoia that everybody's on to you, the, or, you know, the strongest emotion I get playing this game is when I'm on the side of the resistance and people start accusing me of being a spy. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, yeah. but I think it's such an important like opportunity for people <sighs> just to like understand what it's like to be accused of a crime or accused of doing something wrong. Uh, And just as soon as like, you know, the table arithmetic turns against you just a little bit where people start thinking maybe Jake really is the spy here and you're trying to defend yourself, everything you say 
it just makes you seem more guilty. It's like, yeah. I'm not the spy. I swear to it. It's just like, well, of course you'd say that. Any spy would say that. And, you're, and, and you, but can, you don't have any, you really don't have any way to give hard proof to the contrary besides this like flimsy theory of the case that you're trying to build. It's like that, that can be turned against you, right? It's like, well, why were you on that mission that failed in round two? It's like, because well, clearly somebody else was the spy. Yeah. I think that moment, Jake, of sitting on the side of the resistance, knowing in your heart of hearts that you are resistance, and just watching not two people, but three or more other people at the table, and I'm talking about maybe in a five-player game, just turn on you, and the the sort of like gut-wrenching hopelessness of feeling totally powerless, knowing that it's, it's frustrating lost. too. It's so like, frustrating. And I feel like the my game as this resistance falls apart so often because I'm get so frustrated that like i just see the people who are accusing me of being illogical so i'm like if you could believe that i'm (laughs) the spy honestly then you are 100 percent the spy and then of course they're not like the actual spy is just like sitting back laughing knowing like oh this is great the resistance has turned on each other is the resistance an emotional game or a logical game jake i think i think there is like a core logic to the puzzle. Like, I think that if a team acts logically, there is a lot of information that can be deduced in a way that can give you a real edge. But it's one logically and lost emotionally. But of course, like, yeah, right. Like the the resist is supposed to be doing logic and the spies (laughs) are doing emotional manipulation. And that's why it's such an incredible and interesting game to play you know and obviously it's it's very like other social deduction games mentioned but so unlike the other games that we talk about on this podcast but yeah. i had a question for you okay which was posed to me by pete in our discord when i after i said i typically don't like negotiation games he's mm-hmm. asked me what was the resistance a negotiation game i don't i don't think of the resistance as a negotiation game because Oftentimes in a negotiation game, I think there's an exchange of assets of or, or resources in some way. Uh, and it's about typically about trying to make un, make those exchanges in a way that's favorable for you or in a volume that will be favorable for you. Whereas the resistance, oftentimes you don't in negotiation games, like the deal's the deal. You know, Jake, will you trade me two wood for a wheat? You say yes yeah. or you say no. I, you're not going to say like, aha, there's a there's a asterisk in that example, which is whatever. We don't need to get into it. But I think in, in the case of the resistance, it's not a negotiation game because it's there's fundamentally it's more a game of I don't know. It's, it's about it's it's really I think it's a it's a uh, a game about convincing other players. It's a game of persuasion. You right. persuade people in negotiation games too, but the core game is so different that I wouldn't ever call the resistance a negotiation game. Right, it's a per- and that's it's a game why it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> how long do you set that up for? So good. <laughs> so. I think Jake too, just as we're kind of, I think right now we're kind of talking about like the emotional, all the emotional tones that this game can hit, which is really, I think, important in a, any deep dive on the decision space. Because I think what sets this game apart is the range of emotions that you can experience. So one thing, one quick thing I want to note is that moment where you feel where you're accused as a resistance member and you know you're not the 
a spy of being the spy. So often those moments, the next line that someone will say is, okay, well, you can decide I'm the spy, but if you do, I'm just telling you we've lost the game. Right. Right. Like, and I, I think it's interesting how then other players can then take that. Spies can then take that line and use it in the future. But I think there's also a cool moment, right? There's there's the moments where you're members of the resistance accusing someone of being a spy. That's sort of classic werewolf mafia type gameplay. But then I love the moments where there's someone who I'm like 70% sure the resistance and I'm trying to have a heart to heart across the table and just maybe ask them a question or or something to like put a little bit of a bridge out and say like can I trust you and I think that those moments end up being as or more interesting than some of the moments where socially you as a group are trying to find someone to accuse and I think that's what John Eskridge is getting at and I think as we're sort of talking through the game and the and I'm remembering plays. I really love those moments too. It's fun figuring out this who the spies are as the resistance, but it's just as fun as when you like link up with someone and you know you can trust them and you don't get betrayed at the end. Right? Yeah, and- when it was true, when it was true, there's that's one of the biggest high fives in gaming I've ever had. Like if, if you could in round two, you find a buddy and they're really a member of the resistance and you really win because of it. That's a huge high point. And I think this is one of the most high five inducing games I've ever played. It's also one of the most like agonizing scream inducing games I've ever played. Yeah. yeah. It, it's funny that you say that because I think the there's it's there's two sides to every coin in this yeah. game, right? We're on. On one hand, you know, if you're the resistance and somebody accuses you of being a spy, like there's something that just intrinsically like in your brain, like automatically tells you like they must be bad then because I'm good and they're calling me bad. So they must be bad Mm. where the same thing happens if somebody tells you that you're good Mm. and you're like, you're right. So you must be good, you know? Like, yep. I think that can be one of the most like devious things that you can do as, as a, a spy. spy is yeah. just kind of like lean over to the person next to you, like, and not even in full volume of everyone at the table, like while some other arguments going on, be like, I really have no idea who to trust, but I'm pretty sure you're solid. Yeah. And then they're like, you're, you're like, okay, well, Jake knows what's up. Cause <laughs> I am solid. <laughs> and of course I know that cause I'm the spy. <laughs> totally okay here's a question for you jake do you trust people who talk a lot or talk a little i think i think inherently i trust the people who are doing the the core dungeon like if you're like we need to solve this Mm -hmm. then i trust you and and i i think i feel that way because in myself i love being on the resistance because i can just like great i don't have to lie i can just throw all my energy into solving the case yeah where all of a sudden when I'm the spy, I have to like put up the shield and like there's, you know, kind of a filter that goes across everything that I'm saying uh, in some ways, because obviously I can't just try to solve the case authentically because I know who it is. So I have to like pretend to solve it with the same vigor. And that's a lot harder. So totally I've been called out before. Be like, I think Jake's a spy because he's not like running the show. <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome but that sucks because then it puts like the like now i'm supposed to like freaking be the quarterback the whole time or else i'm looking guilty <laughs> looking guilty yeah. but then you look guilty because then you're quarterbacking and telling people stuff that they know isn't quite right, right. so then you have to like shift your meta within that when you're group. when you're st- the resistance and you're strongly making a case 
Yeah. That's a dangerous spot to be in because totally. it's not like we have perfect information to go off of. Yeah. I do I do think that's a really cool thing about this game though, Jake, that on repeat plays. So you said the first time you play this game, you played it eight times back to back. And I've had nights where I do the same thing with resistance. And I think one of the coolest things about that from the perspective of we talked about how, you know, games are uh, invite us to take on these different agencies. So resistance invites us to take on the agency of deception or the agency of parsing who's telling the truth from who's deceiving us. And I think the cool thing is, is that as that meta builds, how you do that and how you act because of past successes, the meta element invites you to act differently in how you're deceiving people and challenges you to find new ways to, to sort of navigate that space in a cool way, because it's not a game where you can solve the same problem the same way every time, whether the problem is I have to deceive everyone at the table or it's, who can I trust? I think it's always shifting. And that's one of the things that makes it most interesting. So we talked a lot about the resistance side. Can we talk about the spy side and the spy experience a little bit, Jake? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like this is where it's interesting, right? So we talked about the spies having the total package, right? They have all the information. So yep. they're actually not playing a deduction game. They're doing like the emotional manipulation, but they're actually the side that has decisions in play of passing or failing missions. Right. If your resistance always has to vote succeed, you always have to. And you really have to tell people that. (laughs) Yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, but any, anyway, some people try and get too cute and they're like, I just want to throw everyone off. It's like, no, dude, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. That's someone who hasn't understood that we're taking on the agency of a resistance and you would never sabotage your own resistance to find a mole. That's like one of the most circle magic circle breaking experiences I've ever had playing a games where it's like "Mm, this. No, no. It's like we're not doing it. We're done. Yeah. So all that to say it does come up when you're the spy, you're on a mission and you might have a genuine question of like, do I pass or fail this mission? So maybe let's take it round around. I think the first round is really interesting. Uh, If you find yourself on that mission in the first round and you're a spy, and let's say it's not two spies because that throws everything off. If it's like two spies, then you almost have to both pass because you can't really communicate. Yeah, in round one. And you fail it in round one. That's just too risky. risky. So that's like, I think almost always you would just vote pass there plus the like the social collateral you get from going round one with two spies and both voting succeed you can ride the tails of that success for a while in terms of building a case yeah you're investing in your future failures but if you're it's interesting right because like if you're the one who's choosing the mission i feel like the meta and that i play with is like well, I know the only thing I know for sure is I'm resistant, so I have to put myself on the mission. Yes, yeah. Like it's really kind of strange if somebody doesn't put themselves on the mission kind of ever. Yeah. But anyway, so let's say you're a spy, you put yourself on the mission and a resistance person on the mission. Would you ever vote fail in that situation? In the first round? Yeah, round one. I think in my first play of the night with a group, no. I think it's it's almost too risky, and I'm not a good enough liar, typically, to be able to frame the other person. I think there might be certain circumstances in which I feel socially I could pull that off, but I think that's a, a very large hill to climb, and I don't know if my acting slash lying chops are always up to that sort of endeavor. How about you, Jake? Yeah, I just think it's not that fun, too. Like, it kind of <laughs> a little know. bit... It kind of a little bit undermines 
for me the whole like it's like i'm the hero of this story and like this whole game is going to be about me yeah. just like absolutely browbeating the other poor victim that i've forced into this situation and it's going to be me and them yelling at each other for the whole you know 20 minutes and i think that is a i just don't think it's like that good because you're obviously you have a ton of heat on yourself no matter yeah. what and b that just is like it's just such a decision it's like all right i'm playing this just like game this there, absolutely there's attacking a, game the whole a time. certain type of chaotic glory seeker though who will make that decision and typically those people are poised to pull it off so you have to be really careful but then the fun thing is is that when it's the reverse and the i don't know when you're playing yeah. against someone like that and then you can make the play as the spy and be like oh <gasps> And like really lean into it. I I don't know. I think there's times, yeah. but it's rarely. It is horrible succeed. if you're the other. If you're like oh. the resistance person, and that yeah. happens to you in round one, you just have to like just throw your hands up. You're just yeah. like, well, this is gonna suck. I I have a similar. So that same question, right? Of well, that's can I talk? So the spy experience that I find to be one of the most interesting in the whole game, and I think is really notable, and I want to call out. And this is especially, say, in games with two spies. Um, so five players has two po- spies. Six player games have two spies. Do seven player games? No, seven player games go up to three spies. So in a five or a six player game, it's later in the game, Jake, right? So there's five missions in a game of resistance, potentially. Let's say you're on mission uh, mission four, and there's three players being sent on the mission, two spies and one member of the resistance. I find those to be some of the most interesting decisions as spies because the game sort of emergently creates a prisoner's dilemma. If you're already in round four, you're the spies are in a position where they, ha- they have to fail, typically. Yeah. Almost typically, like most likely. So then, but you if you both fail, if you both fail and win the game, great. That You just do that. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. The game's yeah. already decided. But it, if you need to win the next round, right, that's where it gets really interesting because you need one of you to fail, but because you have to win the next round too, you can't both just fail because then there's really very little chance you're going to get the next one. Um, it's very, very risky. So one player almost has to fail, but the other player doesn't. And it kind of creates this prisoner's dilemma moment where you you have to, across the table, almost figure out who's going to do what. Um, and then it also creates the almost the perfect moment of spy-on-spy spy betrayal. And figuring out the social dynamics of when to betray the other spy, hoping to use this to bring yourself a degree of uh, trust among the other players, is one of the like classic, I would say, like strategic plays you can make as a spy that's really interesting, really skill-testing, really fun, and really horrible to be on the receiving end of. I would say when you're the spy being called out as the spy by your fellow spy, and you're not so confident it's going to work, it could just be like, oh, so stomach-ache-inducing. Like, oh, I don't feel that way at all. You don't I feel, feel that I way? feel like I feel like all's fair and and No, no, no. I mean, I I don't. It's all fair. I right, mean, I know, like, I know, but like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I feel like sometimes. I guess sometimes it's just really clear. Like, yeah. if the table is like, if somebody has made themselves obviously oh then you just kick him appear yeah, the spy then the other spy has to, yeah. the other spy has to you can't yeah. be like the one person to, i don't know guys they seem like they maybe they just don't understand the rules great or something yeah, you're the one pushing him off the plate yeah like, you're like yeah. this guy get him out of here yeah yeah it's like i don't want to hear it anymore brendan everybody knows you're a spy it's the best but so are you trying to say that you can communicate with your other spy in some way to be like everybody knows he's a spy no no because if you if you 
cheat, right? And you say like, I'll wink at you if we vote. That's cheating. So you can't communicate, right? That's that's against the rules. But you have this like square. I thought you were saying there could be like some meta, like like everybody knows this <laughs> person's the spy, so they'll probably just they'll probably be the one to fail, <laughs> like out loud. It's <laughs> <Right>. like dang, <laughs> that dude. could work though. Yeah, it could. I think you know. I feel like if you find yourself in that situation, you kind of are forced into doing the fail, uh, and then just praying that one of the two of you because you're, you're not out of it. it. Yeah, like there's going to yeah. be a lot of you know doubt. Okay, but Jake, if you, on everybody in that mission anyway, so if you're not I know, like done, right? We okay. This is the why it's a really interesting emergent prisoner's dilemma. We both know that one of us has to vote. So I know you're going to vote yes, and you know I'm going to vote yes. So I'm going to vote no. But okay, if, good for you. But you if I vote it. right, but but what if you're you have the same thing? I think it's a difficult. I, under, I understand. I it's understand fun. the prisoner dilemma. I'm just gonna use the no. You're just gonna vote, vote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Vote to fail because yeah, great. We're gonna like, be a great spy team. This yeah. Be, yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. We've we're this is great. You know, yeah. we're like already like coalescing on our strategy, but we're also giving away all of our all strategies. of our chips. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. You, Interesting. I was gonna take us to a different thing and and talk a little bit about the like mission selection portion okay. of the game. Is that all right if we go there? Yeah. Like the team picking. Yeah, the team picking. Okay. And I think this is really interesting in the mechanism where if the vote fails three mm-hmm. times or whatever, then it's like the spies Auto win fail. immediately. Yeah. So everybody has to vote yes on, on the last one. Yep. And there can be some really interesting, uh, I think, advanced level resistance tactics in like manipulating that. You know, mm. it, it might not come up in your first or second game, but then, you know, when the spies are are in a good place or or whatever, you know, if you can kind of like coalesce around the idea of like, all right, we trust Brendan here. So like, let's just fail the next two. Then we'll get Brendan Brendan to be able to make the team that we've all like kind of agreed on is right. And I think that's a really powerful tool that the resistance has of sort of like, you know, if we're saying that and then the next person does something that's not aligned with that, that is something that makes them look really guilty in kind of the late game portion. Uh, so all that's to say, it feels like one of the strongest tools the resistance have is making people pick teams a lot. However, I find in the metas that I've played with that voting no on a mission often is like deemed as like suspect. It's like, why did you vote no? We don't have any information. This is mm. as good as another. And I try and say like, no guys, like we just need to get like as much data as we possibly can. I think that another really fun moment, totally agreed. Yes. And I think a really fun moment in the resistance is when let's say it's mission mission two or three, everyone votes. We're sending you, Jake and Brendan and, and Maya are going on the mission and then the votes flip and there's two fails. Instantly in the moment, someone says, oh, this is great. The spies don't want us to go, which may or may not be true. But I think that it leads to really interesting discussions and interesting decisions for each side about sort of how to interpret that. And to your point, as the resistance, you would like more chances uh, of that going around the table. But what you would really not like is for the last round for it to go to to a spy player and then give them the power where 
they get to send who they want in the mission or the mission automatically fails, right? Yeah. So you're also that you have pressure to accept teams that are nominated. There's great responsibility in, in nominating teams to get information. And you can also nominate teams early on to your point, Jake, somewhat, probably not in mission one because you don't have any information, but say in mission two to kind of test the waters on people. And that becomes an important thing too, right? And like in werewolves, classic werewolf or classic mafia, there's no, let's see if this, how this group does. There's just, right. you're out of, you're out of the game. Like you're, yeah. you're out. We're going to, we'll learn if that was a good decision or bad, but in the resistance, there's a, okay, Bridget, test this case. yeah, Bridget and Jake are going to go and let's see what happens. And the interesting thing is sometimes you can trick yourself into things that aren't true and have great confidence because of a, a result that came out of that, or you can get exactly the type of information you need. So I, th- I think the resistance gives you just enough la- latitude to, to build narrative in cases well, not having so much that you can get lost in that and and sort of miss, yeah. lose the game. I think you're right. And there's a lot of data to be collected, not just in the uh, who people are sending on missions, like testing cases and seeing what the results are, but also in the way the votes come out. You mm. know, like a lot of times the vote will come out and it'll be like, oh, hey, like at, at least one spy voted for this because there's six of us and five of us voted yes. Um, so let's just keep that in mind uh, as we, you know, move forward with this mission. This, you know, and if it fails, it's like, well, okay, you know. And then your everything is built on that, right? It's like, well, I was the person who said it didn't work out, so like, do I have a modicum of trust now, uh, and so on and so forth? So anyway, I feel like those are a lot of my favorite decision points and like deduction points in the resistance. Should we talk about some other other aspects of this? Yeah, absolutely. I think something that I want to highlight, Jake, is the game arc of the resistance is almost perfect because the way that the info on the table unravels, right? This puzzle that you're playing on the resistance side, it sort of grows and grows and grows. And as it's growing, the tension is building and building. The first missions can feel somewhat inconsequential because you have to win three out of five to win. So you know, if you lose one early on, it doesn't feel horrible, but you get to this and point also, where you're maybe you have spies on there passing them anyway. So you, right. even if you're doing well, you don't really know. You're right. not like, oh, great. The, the, we've succeeded the first two missions. We're definitely going to win. You're still it's like, paranoid. okay, now the game can begin. Right. Hopefully we've been collecting some good data. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. And you also, there's going to be interactions that people have had. There's been claims that have been made. So you're sort of building upon this case. So the info is unraveling. People's position and how they're playing the game is coming into clarity. And the tension, so the stakes of the game are also perfectly rising. And I think that the resistance is so cool because it almost always ends at the highest, at the climax of the game. Almost always. Not always. There's times where someone just gives it away a little bit and you have this like balloon pop well, yeah. deflation. Uh, your, like your prisoner's dilemma scenario goes wrong yeah. right goes wrong and the spies pass the mission and then the resistance win in group four and everybody's like huh what yeah, <laughs> yeah. but more often than not it builds to this hugely climactic moment and i think that that's something that i really love about the game is a lot of the games we normally cover on the show you win or lose them because of a an accumulation of small good decisions over and over that give you the edge to beat out the other players at the table. And oftentimes the resistance in the best way comes down to a pivotal turn, a pivotal moment where everyone sits with bated breath watching for cards to flip. And it's just awesome. I love to like, I don't know if this is the case in every single player count, but it feels like it is, or at least in most where 
the final mission, it asks you to put out exactly all the spies. Or, or yes. sorry, exactly all the, the resistance members. Uh, crap, I swear on resistance. All, <laughs> it was not a Freudian slip. Uh, all the resistance members, you know, and you don't have any excess, right? So it's like, we've solved this case or we haven't. Mm, yeah, that's uh, awesome. Which I think is a really nice kind of like way to wrap it up. Yeah. Do you have a favorite player count? For the resistance not in particular i think five is probably too few for what i want i think probably six or, or seven feels perfect mm. eight maybe gets more a little more unwieldy I, I think i would play at five or eight too probably don't want to go less i don't even know if it plays less i like it at five because i like it so much that if there's five people i'm sort of like let's just play it i think that the the balance of spies to resistance at five is interesting two to three tends to be, it leads to in really interesting nominating rounds just based on where the missions are. I like it at five. I don't, I don't even like that. That gives popular. me like an icky feeling, just like knowing that there's that many, <laughs> such a high percentage <laughs> of spies. spies. Four, to, four to two feels way nicer to me. Yeah. I think I like six. That feels perfect. And then four to, to three. Six to three, half spies? No, no. Four, oh, four to two in this six player game is yeah, four yeah. to two, I think. And then yes. is seven, four to three. Yes, yes, it is. That's too many spies again. So I think <laughs> I like six and eight. You know? nice. <laughs> I, because I want like a, I want a higher proportion of resistance, I think. With eight players, you have three spies. With nine players, you have three spies. And then with ten players, you have four spies. Ten okay. to four is cool. That's scary. Five, dude. You're a freaking. Ugh, you're a savage, dude. I wouldn't want to deal with that. Too, <laughs> no, ten too to stressful. four. Ten to four. No, I'm saying the five, oh, player, five count player count. Game. No, it's so fun. Oh. It's like a forty percent chance you have to be a spy. I know the tension's really high. <laughs> That's why it's so good. I do think that it makes the some of the nominating like a little bit more clear. Um, but sort of pursuant with this, Jake, I think that the resistance is actually incredibly approachable as a as a game I could put in front of people. The rules often, because the voting and the double voting that we're voting on a mission, then we're voting on the success fail. It, there's usually a hump to get people over if they haven't played a lot of games. But I found I can almost always get people over it if I do a couple demo turns and then almost anyone can play and enjoy the resistance. Yeah, there are definitely people out like my wife doesn't like Who the resistance. don't like playing it. Because yeah. it's just, she's like, that, that's just the game where we just yell at each other. You know, and it's, that's yeah. right. That's pretty much what it is. You know, it's yelling and gaslighting and icky feelings. And absolutely, I don't even think it's a small group of people. There are just a lot of people out there that they don't want to do that with their like free relaxation mm -hmm. time. Yeah. But it's not a matter of like, this is too complex or people's eyes glazing over as it is in other games that we might want to bring people totally. into. And to your point, Jake, being accused of something, being accused yeah. of being the spy can, yeah, the can be a real negative emotion. to take on yeah. is kind of repulsive if you're the yeah. spy. And, yeah. and it leads to bad feelings of being lied to and betrayed that a lot of people have a lot of baggage with uh, in real it, life that they maybe don't want to confront in play, which is so completely valid. And I've seen games of the resistance that go, the, the magic circle goes sour, right? The, the blending of what happens in the game is part of the game. And we don't take that out of the game. I have, I do not have, I can't say a hundred percent of games I played with of the resistance that that remained true. I have seen hurt feelings at the end of a game of resistance um, in a way that it's sort of like, it's okay. One of the things about playing a game is we keep all of the decisions within that game and it's not personal, but unfortunately sometimes it does not. It's so 
emotionally ripe as a game that it can it can break down that line of that magic circle in yeah. a way. I will admit, I'll be a little vulnerable. I am one who can become quite triggered at games at certain points in my life, but never the resistance. Like mm. I've felt embarrassed in plays of resistance because I've just like got it so wrong. Yeah. Or or whatever. Or like I said something dumb and was immediately found out and like spoiled the game. Yeah. But I think the saving grace for me is that it's short. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like if if the, the games that make me mad is like I've played this game for an hour and like I can't believe that you've done this yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the end of it or whatever. I think uh, and here it's like 15 minutes. It's like, OK, whatever. I think something too, Jake, about why that can happen more in the resistance than other games, just as we're reflecting, is oftentimes the agencies we're being tested on the games in games don't necessarily f- feel artificial, right? Like when you play the Castles of Burgundy, there's a lot of cool stuff you're doing. And intellectually, it's a challenging exercise. But when your friend sits across the table and lies to your face and convinces you you can trust them for 20 minutes and then betrays you or your wife (laughs) and betrays you or whatever yeah or your mom yeah and then totally betrays you guts you makes you lose the game and then that's something they really did right so that happened in in a game and it was a game experience but it's a real experience you had they really lied to you they really did deceive you uh, in a way that is i think more immediate to our experience as a human being than a lot of the experiences we often have in games Uh, i had a funny uh anecdote and i guess one of the most popular games uh in this genre trigger warning is secret hitler the game where one person is secret identity hitler and represent it's basically a resistance clone with it's like fascist first liberals or like avalon clone yeah yeah yeah, avalon clone but i had a play of the game uh with my wife where i was like pretty sure my wife was hitler and i you know said that and she was like don't call me hitler and then and it's like but you you was it true (laughs) yeah yeah it's true it's like you can't get actually mad at me when i was like right in the context of the game and that game was designed by a group of people who played avalon so much that they wanted to make a slightly different version that would give them even more longevity um which i think shows in in that design totally should we okay speaking of like people getting out pitchforks accusing each other of other people of things there's an elephant in the room, which is that we love the resistance, I would say, more than the average opinion within the board gaming hobby of people who play social deduction games. Not because people don't love this type of game, but I think oftentimes people like Avalon more than they like the resistance. Yeah, I think that's a very calmly held view of like, I think it goes as far as people being like base resistance is like not even a game. Or I think not that's even, or not even good because we have we can have like special powers and roles. I just want to say we could talk longer. I have more to say. Do you, let's keep going. Yeah. Do you want to keep going? I have more to say about the resistance, yeah. base resistance. And we've already been talking for 50 minutes. Yeah. And I, that to me tells me there's a lot, a lot. of interesting yeah. things happening in base resistance alone. That for me, when I play Avalon yeah. or I play uh, Secret Hitler, or I've even play Blood on the Clock Tower. Uh-huh. I feel that sometimes the extra rules and extra special powers and stuff dilutes the yes. core experience that I am looking for and find so much joy in that I get with base resistance. I can I can feel more doing less, investing less. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think sometimes too, Jake, some, the claim that people will make is, oh, it just ends up being too similar of an experience, which. I don't know if I agree or disagree with that, but I will say 
If I'm offered an incredible meal, I don't often say no to it if I'm offered it a second time the next day. I just, this is a meal I'm happy to eat every day of the year, you know? This is an important question, I think, probably for listeners of this podcast that would tell us a lot about our taste. When you go to a restaurant, a favorite restaurant, are you getting the same thing every time? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh Oh, (laughs) so maybe that's why we love the resistance. I'll experiment experiment every once in a while. I'll invariably, almost always, that's great. That special sounds awesome, but I'm gonna go with the lasagna. Sure. (laughs) Or I'll try the special and be like, I should have gotten the lasagna. Right. Exactly. One hundred percent. Do you? But well, before we talk about Avalon and Quest, and then go back to the resistance to end, is there anything you want to say about the resistance? I'm gonna save it for the end. Okay. I'll save my, because I, I have like one kind of like overarching thought, meta board gaming thought, but I'll, I'll leave that for the end. Yeah. I guess there's not a t- lot we need to cover here. This is really an episode about the resistance, a game both Jake and I both love, but I feel a need to talk about Avalon a little bit. It came out three years after the resistance. It adds these other layers. It gives more privileged information. I think it it starts to flesh out some of the ways that you can build upon a social deduction game in interesting ways with more privileged information. Spies already give an element of that, right? They have more information than everyone else at the table. This says, okay, what if there's a, a good person, Merlin, who has privileged information and how does that change the social dynamics? I think that one of my reasons why Avalon doesn't always hit for me is I feel like sometimes the roles I'm being given are, are sort of like a recipe for fun. Um, it's sort of saying, you're going to play the game this way this time. Like you're Merlin, you have to play this type of game. And I'm fine being given a recipe for fun sometimes. It can be a lot of fun if you end up having fun with it. But I think sometimes that can lead to it feeling too samey in a way that when I'm playing the resistance, even though it's you're just the resistance or you're just a spy, I find I have sometimes more, I can play that game in different ways because I don't have to try to live within the role I've been given. And I think there's a lot of people who are going to be saying, you're going too far, you're taking that too far. That's still there in Avalon. And it is. But I think that for me, sometimes... I don't necessarily need the like badge tacked onto my shirt, you know? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And my biggest complaint with Avalon is the simple fact that it's like more difficult setup. Like I never know what roles to use with what Mm. player count. Uh, And often if I'm playing the game, I'm playing with at least somebody who hasn't played before. There's a podcast I'm a fan of is called Game Brain, and they talk yeah. about the resistance a lot. Or sorry, Avalon. I think they yeah. start every game night with Avalon or almost every night. Amazing. So they play they played it like, you know, with the same group of people hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh, and have like a really uh, you know, interesting, evolving meta. And if you're playing it that much, then I completely get why like having more variety, more roles to spice things up and you know exactly like what to get out of the box and play with with whatever player count you have. That makes sense to me, but I, I, I haven't got to that point yet. And I think it would really require for me not just playing the resistance a lot, but playing it repeatedly with the same people, mm-hmm. which is just not really how I game. Yeah. I, I, don't, I also don't want to mince words. If someone said, do you want to play Avalon? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like sure. I, I'm here for it. Yeah. It's no problem. And then Quest comes out nine years later, very long time. Uh, and Quest is this follow-up game by Don Eskridge that's sort of the uh, a continuing evolutionary cousin of these games that tries to simplify the game. So it re- removes the voting that we for teams that we talked a lot about 
there's just the vote to fail or succeed when someone selects a, a turn. There's a new mechanism for information gathering because you lose the voting to get information. Uh, and then it has unique roles that appear in Avalon. It's also, it was a little bit of like a publishing mess where the rules, there's two sets of rules in the in the box. There's the director's cut rules and the regular rules and they, they don't quite line up. The director's cut rules are Don Eskridge's rules and then there's the publisher's rules. Um, I found Quest- Oh man, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, that it's- is- <laughs> Ew. There were some tough conversations happening, I, I think, behind I, closed doors with that, that they I, ended in that place. I wonder. And it, I just, every time I played Quest, you know, I, I bought this game. I was really excited about it. I was sort of like, great, like a simpler, a simpler version of Avalon sounds really interesting. Uh, maybe this will go well. I played it four times and sort of was like, I just want to play the resistance or just want to play Avalon. Like this is not, we're not hitting the highs or the lows that I want to be hitting. It felt much more procedural. Yeah. Yeah. One one last thought on Avalon, I guess is one of, for me, one of the best things about the resistance is like the big moments, like the Mm. reveals. And it's interesting that the assassin role, right. It adds like another big or even like potentially the biggest moment sure. if like the assassin role has like one shot to pick i think this person exactly is merlin yeah and if they're right they win the game yeah which is exciting but it it feels like it's a place where like that's already such a strength of the game yeah that it, for it, me it, like the impact of it is kind of like i don't know it's, it's like, almost like a recipe be- for fun it's like too could there be too much of a good thing it's like we're yeah. already doing this like this and, is already what we're doing and i think it's really exciting when those moments happen emergently and it doesn't have to be the staged moment right you know? exactly yeah. like we can snipe people it's like you said this thing yeah. th- that was like actually a freudian slip and now you're dead to us yeah yeah or whatever you know like that can happen in the game i think you're exactly right you know yeah. it feels you know it, to me not just like extra i it's not even like that much rules complexity, but it's like extra rules complexity and we're not getting anything out of it or we're not yeah. getting much, at least when I'm playing it with a new group of people. I can hear the screams of our listeners. But it's just great. <laughs> I think we both have a ton to say about the resistance. And what's interesting is we didn't even cover all of our notes. So patrons can go in and see in our notes sort of what we did cover and what we didn't cover. I think we have to do just like, I don't know, like we talk so much about social deduction in the context of this, but maybe we could do like a, what we talk about a little bit more getting into social deduction and maybe how like elements of social deduction can show up in not explicitly social deduction games and stuff. Yeah. We played blood on the clock tower once. So yeah. I'm sure people would be interested to hear. I played Insider. <laughs> Again. It's fun. We thought about it. Yeah. How do you want to close, Jake? An observation, a favorite experience playing the Resistance? I'm going to make, I wanted to go back to that meta thought mm. I had about social deduction games and specifically the Resistance, which I think one thing that I'm noticing more and more in our hobby is simultaneous play, right? Here's the action. We're all doing that. Uh, it earth was a big game that basically all the actions are, are kind of like simultaneous. Everybody's playing at the same time. Roll and rights, roll and rights. Everything is kind of be a simultaneous play last light, right? It's like, Oh, we've got this big game in a small time because of simultaneous play drafting games. And a lot of those games for me, I've realized I don't love them. And I think a part of it is that 
I don't feel in touch with what everybody else is doing around mm. the table. It makes me feel, you know, people talk about multiplayer solitaire games. I feel like these games are all a more lonely experience because mm. I just am not in touch with, you know, what somebody's doing across the table and yet mm. we're all playing simultaneously. So, so all that to say, like social deduction is a genre where like play is truly happening simultaneously, but also in a way that everybody is completely engaged with everybody's game because it's all happening totally like above the table. Yeah. And I think that for me is why this genre has such like appeal and such staying power. Uh, it, it, you just like, even though we're not building anything, there's not a lot of rules. It achieves that same thing that last light or earth does of like, we're getting so much game happening in a short amount of time. Yeah. I think the resistance just gives you such a, a license to do so many interesting, fun things that I would never want to do in real life, but enjoy the opportunity to experience in a game and enjoy the opportunity to experience in a game with my friends. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the, the way it permissively invites me to lie to my friends and to practice that, even though I don't like doing that. And then also, I think, Jake, at its most basic sort of human level, I think we all, one, on a survival level, we need to be able to tell when someone's not telling us the truth, just culturally within our life. That's a core human skill that fundamentally and increasingly is really important. Our ability to evaluate disinformation misinformation etc and i think that it's it's so fun to to play a game that invites us to experience things that are so emotionally ripe and so sort of core of what it means to exist in a society of things like trust uh and yeah. it's just such a human experience uh that i think that that's why i'll ultimately keep coming back to it is it's recontextualized with every group of humans you can sit down and play whether or not even also everyone i've played this game with people who don't fully speak english who like they're, they're learning english and they're on their way uh where the game devolves into sort of conversations happening in French and English at the same time. And it's still fun and interesting because you're still learning things about reading body language and, and trust. And there's someone playing a role of in between interpreter. And can I trust that person? And just the fact that a game can carry even that is, is really, really cool. And yeah, yeah. I'm just so glad Don Eskridge designed the resistance. I think that's such a good place to leave it because we've done this show for three years now and we've recommended a lot of games, but this is the first game that I think that we've covered that I feel like like you should have this experience as a person. Yeah. You know, like I love the Castles of Burgundy, but I wouldn't like ever make the claim that like everybody should play this because there's a lot of people that are, are not gonna vibe with it in the world. Yeah. If you Where like the, games. If you like games, sure. But like I feel like the resistance No, no, no like, I mean you, if you like games, you should play the resistance. Yeah, I think even if you don't like games, like, yeah. I feel like this I feel like this should be like taught in school. Like ha like I think that everyone should have this mm. experience. I think it can make people better people mm. from experiencing these different agencies that exist in this game. Uh, and that's a that's a claim that you won't hear me make often on this show. And I think that's for me why this is just one of the best games out there. Perfect. Well, if you want to jump into the discussion and just continue the conversation talking about anything we discussed, or if you'd like to come 
accuse us of being spies or uh, to tell us why we're wrong about liking the resistance more than Avalon. We invite all of these conversations and more uh, to happen in our Discord. There's a link to it in our show notes uh, and on our website, decisionspacepodcast.com. Discord is just like a chat room that lives in your browser where you can talk to other listeners of Decision Space and have meaningful, deep, and fun conversations uh, and also light and trivial conversations too. Uh, We're also running a game design jam right now with one of our listeners aurora and there are 21 work in progress dude. 23 We've, now work what in have progress. we done <laughs> it's amazing so 23 people working on submissions talking about them publicly with other people on our discord or some i don't know whatever some me publicly uh but anyway there's a lot of people who are working on games for this in collaboration talking about role and rights trying to make a game for our decision space jam you can find more about that on our website as well uh, but we just want to remind people that's going on more coverage about that to come also for all of our free planners who like to play games with us we're going to cover uh ticket to ride at some point soon the taverns of tiefenthal some point soon food chain magnate is still on our list we're going to find a way for our patrons to get it played and covered on the show this year and i guess also thank you to hembry for our intro and outro song reach out and until next week One of us was lying this whole time. I hate the resistance.